Well, that, that was, <laughs> took a long time to get that whipped cream out of my ear. And guys, don't be afraid, that was just Tyler. We didn't have a real pirate. Just him the whole time, Captain Crispy. So if you want to be a part of Tyler being a pirate, come and join us at VBS. All right, hey, good morning once again. Uh, we are closing up the book of Ruth this morning, finishing up our series, uh, the big climax where we find out what happens. Uh, last week, we were left in a, a state of suspense. We don't, we don't know what's going to happen, right? We, we, we left on a cliffhanger. It, it, it was Ruth going to marry Boaz or this other redeemer who is a closer relative. And listen, I'm a guy who, who, who loves the happy endings and movies and stories. I always want the good guys to win or want the people to live. I want people to fall in love or win the game or save the earth, whatever. Um, so I'm pretty anxious to see how it all turns out. Uh, in all seriousness, I've read it. Uh, in all seriousness, as we've been studying through Ruth, we've, we've really tried to draw out uh, and, and seek to understand Hesed love. Right, which is that love that is based on, on a commitment to, to the vow or, or person rather than what we get in response to, to how that love is returned or, or responded to. And, and we've seen it over and over and over in the book of Ruth. She made a commitment to Naomi way back in chapter 1. And since we've seen that, Hesed uh, is committed and generous and hopeful. And we've seen that it literally changes things in the lives of others and in our own life when we live it out. And this morning, we're going to see a few more acts of Hesed love and talk a little bit more about what Hesed love uh, does. And I know you're all on the edge of your seat, waiting with anticipation, so I'm not going to waste any more time. Let's get right to it. Ruth 4, starting in verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down, and he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no... No one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. So, more than likely, uh, soon, soon after Ruth got up and took her barley and walked home, uh, Boaz got up and went to the gate uh, in Bethlehem. We need to understand something about gates. Uh, in cities, they were very important areas of the city. The, the gates were, were less one singular opening, although that was a part of it, uh, but more like a system. So you'd go in and it... it, it and it would part, and, and there were different spots within the main entrance and exit. Uh, but, but you'd have these turns and chambers and a big open area inside. And that whole area was the gate system. And this is because the gate was where a lot of things happened. Commerce, of course, foot traffic, uh, which would have given Boaz the, the best opportunity to, to find this other redeemer quickly. But the gates were also essentially the, the courthouse area, right, where officials would sit and administer justice and oversee legal transactions. And then, as we're reading, we see that phrase again, and behold, and behold, the Redeemer who Boaz had spoken of came by. Remember, that's the Hebrew way of saying, and wouldn't you know it, the Redeemer came by. And so Boaz flags him down, and, and, and Boaz uses this word. It's translated, uh, hello, friend, uh, but, but the Hebrew word here is actually a word that, that is used when a name is either not known or not, uh, not to be used, not intended to be used. Right? So essentially, Boaz says, hey, so-and-so, come here, sit down. 
right? And the author is deliberately not trying to give this person a name or, or a face or recognition as someone of particularly great importance. He's contrasting Boaz and this other redeemer. So Boaz gets 10 elders of the city to witness and oversee the proceedings. And this is interesting. It gets slightly complicated, but because a redeemer, the, the redeemer uh, process, it's not necessarily law binding. This transaction is more familial than legal. Right? But Boaz wants no chance of this going sideways, especially now that there's, we, we learn there's land being involved, and, and he wants the witnesses and wants it to, to be on the, the up and up. Uh, and remember, Boaz could have married uh, Ruth in the night, right? It could have, but, but that could have potentially brought all kinds of issues later. And so being full of integrity, Boaz finds the Redeemer and some witnesses, and they proceed. So Boaz begins by telling this Redeemer, and of course us, because this is new for us, about Elimelech's land, and, and that Noemi, Noemi, Naomi, I've only been saying it for four weeks, uh, Naomi, uh, the widow, is trying to sell this land. Essentially, though, uh, he's, he's not necessarily talking about redeeming Naomi, right, but rather selling the land, which because of the Redeemer's status, how this would probably work was that the Redeemer could, could buy the land, work the land, sell the crop of the land for profit, and, and he would be building, adding to his own fortune, right? He would be adding to his own inheritance for his family through purchasing the land. And, and of course, Naomi would receive uh, money for the land purchase, or more than likely, some, some portion of the proceeds would continue to go to Naomi in perpetuity uh, for the remainder of her life. But, but when she died, then of course, the, the, the Redeemer would get exclusive rights to that land and the money that it, that it would come in for inheritance for him and his children, etc. And so Boaz makes it clear, here's the deal. Let me know if you want it, because if you don't want to redeem it, I do. I do want to redeem it. And of course the man says, I will redeem it. I mean, it makes sense, right, to, to I mean, you, you get something that will add wealth, uh, pretty, pretty normal well, land, of course, is a, a hot commodity back then to own it. And so he, the guy says, name the price, I'm there. And so that's it. Ruth will marry so-and-so. Boaz did a good job. Naomi will get some money for the land. What a nice end. Let's pray. No, I'm just kidding. That's not what happens. You guys, come on. It's Mystery Island, man. All right, let's keep going. Verse 5. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So as we have known the whole time, Boaz has an ace up his sleeve, right? He's unwilling to show it at the beginning. Boaz is not being deceitful or dishonest here. He's just presented the Redeemer with part of the bargain, which may be more uh, appealing in the initial phase. The Redeemer would most certainly be interested in the land, more so than Ruth, it goes back to what he was thinking earlier, how the extra land would help build his own wealth. And Boaz plays to that, right? He, he doesn't talk about Ruth for probably a few reasons. If, if they've already set a price in front of the witnesses, then introducing Ruth makes it uh, too late for, to potentially ask for a lesser price, right? Because having this other person, as we'll get to in a minute, uh, changes things. Perhaps Boaz doesn't want to make himself seem too eager for Ruth, right? That would make... Uh, the, the, the price change. He's making it about the land and also not redeeming Naomi because that, of course, uh, could, could change, change this guy's 
it has a lot to do with the, the price of the land. And of course, if the Redeemer knows Ruth is involved, it's going to cost him more. In the long run, then perhaps he'd try to negotiate a smaller price, but if he could get it for a smaller price, then he might be more and more willing to accept it, even with Ruth. Whatever the case, Boaz basically says, great, now the day you buy the field, you also get Ruth the Moabite, so you can perpetuate the name of Elimelech. And at this point, the Redeemer says, I cannot redeem it for myself, or it will put my own inheritance at risk. I'll endanger my inheritance. I can't do it. You redeem it. And just like that, Boaz has shrewdly handled the situation with the Redeemer and has given the right, is given the right to marry Ruth and to redeem Naomi. And I really do want to make this clear. Boaz did not cheat this Redeemer or fool him. Rather, he acted wisely. He acted shrewdly. He, he was smart about how to approach it. And I don't want us to miss this because it is an important aspect of Hesed love. Hesed love is wise. It, Hesed love does not act based on feeling or, or response. Feelings cause us to lose our way and just react to a situation and, 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 and respond to it too quickly without thinking through it. Hesed love, on the other hand, acts out of wisdom. How can I best respond in, in this situation to, to give a favorable outcome, potentially to all parties involved, but especially to the party that I've committed to. It's always, Hesed love is always working and responding and acting out of wisdom, seeking the good of the person that we're loving. And, and this shouldn't surprise us, uh, be, because as we've discussed, this is how God loves us, right? So, so there are passages in Scripture which talk about how when God loves us, it actually changes us, and it transforms us, and it elevates us, sanctifies us. And we discussed last week uh, that Romans 8, 28, a famous passage, tells us that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. That verse could say, and we know that, all thi- that, that for those who love God, all things work. Good luck. God wouldn't, be, wouldn't have been wrong for saying that, but it doesn't say that. It actually says it works for, for good. Another passage is in Ephesians 5, 25 and 26. It, it's in the context of, of the marriage relationship, but remember that the, the great mystery that Paul is talking about here in the passage is that husband and wife relationship reflects the relationship between Christ and the church. And it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So husbands, love your wives sacrificially, giving up your life for her so that you can sanctify her and cleanse her and help her in, in her transforming into Christ likeness. Why? Because that's what Christ has done for us, and we're to model that. So back to, to Hesed love, we want to be after this same outcome, the outcome that blesses and aids the person that we're loving the most, that, that works to sanctify them and, and, and care for them and that can only be done by using wisdom and not our feelings. You know, we see this with, with not just spouses, but with kids. When, when, you know, you just give in to anything they want. I'm just loving them. I'm showing them love. Just giving in. Get, let them have it. Let them do this. Let them do No. That's a horrible thing to have a, a little sinner or a big sinner get everything that they want. Right? So in wisdom, we have to scale back and say, what would actually be wise for me to give to this person or to care for how, how I would care for this person? Boaz wasn't acting deceptively towards the Redeemer, he was acting wisely towards Ruth and Naomi, okay? But when Boaz did this, it did put the Redeemer in a tough spot. Why? Well, as we stated earlier, it was one thing to take the land, 
to build your own wealth and inheritance for your kids, uh, and then give some money or food or, 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 or perpetually care for Naomi for the remainder of her life. But it was another thing entirely to have to redeem Ruth because you would be continuing the line of Elimelech, which means the land would provide for Ruth and her children and her descendants, and then the land would eventually go back to them and their line. All of this to say the Redeemer is not saying, ew, Ruth, no thank you, right? He's saying, honestly, Boaz, it's too costly for me, and it could endanger my own inheritance to my kids and my family, and then potentially more kids to care for, and so it's too much. It's cost too much. You, you do it. And friends, this decision that he is making is not wrong. It's wise and, and good decision in caring for his family, many would think, but it takes us back to chapter one with, with Orpah. Remember when, when, when Orpah decides to go back to her family in Moab and, and potential new husband and care from her parents and her land and her people? The Redeemer isn't sinning by not committing to Ruth and Naomi and redeeming them. But like Orpah and now this Redeemer, the author is contrasting the normal loving engagement one has for family or friends or a person that they are caring for and the extraordinary, extraordinary hesed shown by Ruth and, and Boaz. The Redeemer is not prepared to trust God, will bless him if he shows Hesed love for Ruth and Naomi. It's not wrong, it's just not Hesed. But Boaz desires to redeem and commit, and even if it will cost him financially in the long run. He's, we know he is a wealthy man, but there's no guarantee that that lasts. I mean, they traded in barley, right? Like, you know, he, he made it through this famine, and he's doing well, and, and he's a wealthy man, but there's no guarantee but he's committed to his life, he's committing his life and resources to Ruth and to Naomi. He's showing them hesed. He's willing to commit his life and time and energy and resources to, to make that vow. So let's see how this <clears throat> plays out. Verse 7. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal and then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the land of Naomi, from the hand of Naomi, all that belonged to Elimelech, and all that belonged to Chilion and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among the brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. And then all the people who were at the gate and the elder said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house, like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. A few observations here. First, the narrator kind of breaks the fourth wall and, and tells the reader about the ceremonial custom. Uh, the, the redeeming exchange where, where one took off a sandal and gives it to the other. And we don't, actually don't know much about the custom. There was a custom in Israel where uh, if you purchased land from another person, uh, the, the, the one who owned it formerly would lift his leg up, and then the, the person purchasing would put his leg down on the land. It was a symbolic gesture. It could have something to do with that, but we don't actually know exactly. It's a strange thing, but this is how they did it. And this story was written later than the actual story, so the narrator was probably conveying some kind of uh, how the event happened or, or, or what was going on here, of course, just details of the story. 
So in the ceremony, Boaz is speaking with the elders as witnesses to the events that have taken place. And he says, I'm purchasing, I am redeeming through Naomi everything that belonged to Elimelech and his sons, and more importantly, Ruth the Moabite, to carry on and continue the name of the dead, that the name of Elimelech would not be cut off. He's stating that through this purchase and his marriage to Ruth, Boaz would make sure Elimelech's family, his name, and property, and that of the sons would continue. It was to ensure that the name would not be cut off forever. And witnesses are so important. Back then, it, 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 back in these ceremonies, they, they, they had written records, but they weren't uh, extensive. They, you know, you couldn't just go down to the local courthouse and get your records of transactions, right? But they had witnesses. And, and, and they, the more witnesses, the better, because if a witness died off, you've got another, and another, and another. And that's how we, we made sure this this uh, the validity of this transaction didn't come into question. And so once the ceremony is complete, all the people who are at the gate along with the elders state themselves as witnesses and pronounce a blessing uh, on Ruth first and then Boaz, which is pretty extraordinary. They ask God to make Ruth like Rachel and Leah, who along with the, their handmaids, Bilhah and Zilpha, gave birth to the 12 sons of Jacob, whose uh, name was later changed to Israel, but, but to the 12 tribes. In other words, the people are, are asking God to make Ruth like one of the matriarchs of the entire nation of Israel. Like this foreign Moabite lady is being, they're asking God to make her like the patriarchs, uh, the matriarchs of the nation, which is an extraordinary blessing to pronounce on any lady, especially a foreigner such as Ruth. But because of her hesed love toward Naomi and the, the worthiness of this woman, the townspeople ask this of the Lord. And can I just say that, I mean, I don't feel like I've held back on, on conveying how much I think this, this author is brilliant, uh, but the author has subtly been leading us this way the entire story, the whole time, through the details, by paralleling and connecting uh, story after story between Ruth and the nation of Israel. I'll just give you a couple. The story starts with a migration uh, in the land because of famine, which advances God's plan. In Genesis 12, God drives Abraham to Egypt because of famine. Later, in Genesis 26, there's a famine which drives Isaac to a place called Gerar, which is Canaan. Uh, and here, God reiterates his promise to Isaac that he made to Abraham about the land being given to him and, of course, his offspring multiplying. Another parallel is that of a, a family's survival being endangered uh, by a mother's childlessness. We've got Naomi's children dying and, and having a, no husband to to perpetuate the line, and then, of course, no, no sons to give to Ruth and Orpah. And that, of course, parallels Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah. You've got Jacob and Rachel. Yeah, childlessness is a huge theme in the history of Israel. Uh, another parallel is a, foreign, uh, a foreigner's voluntary and permanent immigration to a new land. You've got Ruth paralleling Abraham. Another parallel is female intuition overcoming male inaction. To provide an heir. You've got Naomi and Ruth with Boaz. He was willing once the idea was presented to him, right? But, but he was like, hey, man, I pray God blesses you. And then they're like, how about this? And he's like, I should do that, you know? Uh, and that, this actually parallels Tamar uh, with Judah in Genesis 38. And it, on and on it goes. I've got a list of 11, but you, you see my point. The author has told this story in a way in which the Hebrew people, the reader, would not miss these parallels, because the author is leading it to this moment where it is elevating Ruth to the status of matriarch of the people of Israel. What an amazing thing. 
And then we get to Boaz's blessing, which is that his house would be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. And I want to be relatively brief, but but this, I think, is important. Perez was the the head of the clan through whom most of these people, Boaz included, uh, descended. He was a famous figure in the history of Israel, but he was born to Tamar under suspicious circumstances. Tamar was a foreigner who married Judah's oldest son, and the son died. But then the second brother did not want to redeem uh, her, and, and, and then so he died. And then, and then Judah promised uh, her the third son when he was old enough, but then gave him to another woman. And so Tamar concocts this plan by which she actually became pregnant by Judah. I won't get into all the details, but it's a plan that causes Judah to repent and ultimately protects the line of Judah, which, as we know, is really important. And then Perez comes and is born and so forth, and Tamar is recognized as a matriarch of the tribe of Judah. And when the, the, the people are recognizing the shrewdness and the wisdom and the hardworking nature of Ruth the Moabite and comparing her to Tamar and is saying, May the Lord bring the destiny of the house of Judah to your family because of the woman coming into your home. All right, we've come a long way from chapter 1 where, where, where Ruth begins this vow journey. All right, let's keep going. Grand finale time. Verse uh, 13. And so Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. And then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in, in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For, for your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. And then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Amenadab, Amenadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. So Boaz is finally able to marry Ruth, which is really great because you know what kind of man uh, Boaz was before Ruth, right? He was ruthless. Ruthless. It's a joke. Come on, man. It's the shirt. It's the, it's the island. I mean, what, what do you want from me? All right. So they get married. They get married, and they do what married people do, and the Lord grants her conception. This lady ha- that had been barren now becomes pregnant because of the Lord's provision. She has a son. This is also only the second time where the, in the whole book where the Lord's work is made specific. Right? The first one was back when he visited the people uh, to, to bring about food, which drew Naomi and Ruth back to Bethlehem. And then the, the women speak to Naomi, which is interesting because, again, way back in chapter 1, uh, uh, when Naomi and Ruth get back to town, all the townspeople are stirred. But the women, it's the women that say, hey, isn't this Naomi? And now here again, the women speak to her, and they praise God for not leaving Naomi without a redeemer. And they pray his name would be famous in Israel. Now, to be clear, they're talking about the child, not Boaz. Now that the son is born, Naomi has a redeemer, and this redeemer will be a restorer of life and a nourisher in her old age. And this speaks directly to Naomi's earlier problems, right? First, an heir, as he will literally restore the line of Elimelech. When we first meet Elimelech, we see a man whose name is God is King, only to have him die, which 
something tragic happened, which, which can often divert the attention uh, of the reader or the person involved to make one forget that God is king, right? When tragedy strikes, we tend to forget that because it's hard and it's heavy. But when in reality, Elimelech's name was the big reveal right at the beginning of the book, right? God is king, and he's going to continue to be king and do what God does no matter how bleak it gets, and it's about to get bleak, right? But don't forget, God is king. That's the first thing we hear. But God was working the whole time to bring about his purposes in the lives of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. Secondly, this child solves the problem of food. He will provide for her in her old age. And the question is, how can we know this to be the case? Well, the women answer by saying, because your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Ruth, who made the vow to you, who, who has stuck with you, who has obeyed everything you've asked of her, who has worked to provide for you, who has risked potential physical safety and reputation for you, that Ruth, she's the one who gave birth to him, so you can trust that she's going to make this a reality. The women compliment Ruth here by saying she's worth more than, to Naomi than seven sons. This is about as high of a compliment as you can give to a, a, a woman, uh, to, to Ruth. Sons are viewed as the heirs, the, the ones who would provide and care for their family, that would carry on the line. And, and to have seven of them, which represents the, the number of wholeness, the number of perfection, that would be ideal. It would be amazing. But for Ruth to be worth more to, to, to Naomi than seven sons is, is an incredible compliment. And then this is important. Naomi took the child, and there's no indication of, of Ruth or Boaz being around. And so apparently the women had either brought uh, the child to Naomi, or perhaps she had had him and, and led the procession, but she got him and she puts him on her lap, and it says she begins to, to nurse, become his nurse or nurse him. And friends, this is uh, strange and a little uh, and an interesting passage, but I truly believe that what is being conveyed here is that, that Ruth is giving Naomi this child as a final act of hesed. She's giving this child over to Naomi as a final act of hesed. I don't think this is a legal adoption, but, but the wording here speaks of someone who raises the child in the absence of a parent or on behalf of a parent, much like maybe a foster mother. And I think what's happening is that the child will be more or less raised by Naomi and dedicated to caring for and helping Naomi as her redeemer, while still maintaining, of course, a close relationship with Boaz and Ruth. And I think that's clear from, from, from the understanding the women, uh, of the women's statement that this child will be a restorer of life and a nourisher, and it goes on to say that the women named the child Obed, which can roughly be translated one who works, and I think he will be the one who works to care for Naomi, and I think it's finally solidified, this idea is solidified by the women's statement that it says a son has been born to Naomi. No, he hasn't. No, he hasn't, but, but, but friends, our story has come full circle. The woman who left full, who lost her family, has been restored. In chapter 1, she was telling Ruth not to stay with her because there's no way she could provide a son. Uh, her, she could not provide a son to provide for Ruth and to care for her. And here at the end, we have Ruth actually providing that for Naomi. Naomi believed God's hand was against her at the end of chapter 1. But what we see is that God had a greater plan for Naomi and for her life and for this family, this line of Elimelech. And as it turns out, Obed will grow up and have a son whose name is Jesse, and then Jesse will grow up and have a son whose name is David. And we're talking about King David, right? We're not just talking about some David Cleland, no offense, right? Like, we're talking about King David. And then the book ends with this cool little genealogy. And, and really, mo the most important thing to kind of grab from this genealogy 
is that the, the, the seventh spot and the tenth spot are the places of honor in a genealogy in, in Hebrew culture. And number seven is Boaz, and number ten is King David, right? Just, just honor and blessing and integrity and, and just a wonderful way to end this story. And so as we conclude this morning, I just want to make a few closing comments. I, I, want, us, I want to remind us of Hesed love, right? If we get anything from the book of Ruth, we get Hesed. It's that love that is bound to its commitment and motivated by that commitment to a, a promise or a vow made to a person. And that motivation is not contingent on how well the person responds to us. We put in hours of hard physical labor or, or present good gifts to people or sacrifice our, our time, our energy, our money, our freedom. We give our lives away for people. And so often, how do they treat that? They reject it. They don't respond how we'd hope. They, it doesn't work for them. But that's not why we do Hesed love, right? We do Hesed love for two reasons. First, we do Hesed love because God blesses Hesed love, right? The book of Ruth shows us repeatedly that God blesses people when they display Hesed love. Ruth made the vow, but, but God gave her favor in the fields with Boaz, and he provided food and easy gleaning for Ruth. Why? Because of her Hesed love for Naomi. Boaz made it clear that that was why he was doing what he was doing, for all that she had done for Naomi. And then God gives Ruth favor again in her interactions with Boaz on the threshing floor. Boaz promised to either redeem her himself or to get the other re redeemer to do so. And finally, God took away Ruth's barrenness and gave her a son. And, and, and friends, not just any son, but Ruth was given the privilege of being the great-grandmother of King David. And even greater than this, if you turn over to Matthew chapter 1 and look at verse 5, you'll see the name Ruth, who is in the genealogy of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Quite a heritage. And so what does this look like then for us? And, and to be honest with you, I'm not entirely sure. For you, individually. There are examples of God blessing people in different ways uh, because of Hesed all through Scripture. But if you remember last week, first and foremost, if we obey the commands of God, John 14, 21, and we display this kind of sacrificial love, then we get more of Christ Himself. When we obey the commands of God, Christ manifests Himself to us. And friends, in the words of the women, uh, that's far better than seven sons. That's better than any earthly reward or blessing that we could get. We have more of Christ's presence present in our life, and that is an amazing gift. Secondly, we display Hesed love because that's how God loves. That's how God loves. God loves God's love for His people is not based on how we respond to what God gives us. Amen? Right? James 1.17 tells us that every good gift and perfect gift uh, is from above coming down a gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And this is at the end of a whole section that tells us to count it joy when we face trials. How many of us, when God uh, allows trials into our lives, says, Amen, thank you God, may I have another? It, not me, not often. In my best moments, maybe. And I'm not talking about some huge weighty trial. I'm talking about day to day. When I'm inconvenienced, when I'm frustrated at a, as a, at a, at a person or a child or, or someone from the church or a neighbor, when my car won't start, I don't always respond well. In fact, many times I need to repent because of sinning. Praise God that His love is not contingent on our response to what He gives us. Friends at Hope, we believe that God has chosen to save His, His people before the foundation of the world. Romans 8.29, in Romans 8.29, the Bible says that God foreknows people. That, that it's, a, it's a compound word for, of course, meaning in advance, but, but the word know, uh, it, it's to know in an intimate way, right? In the sense of a husband knowing a wife. 
In other words, it's a loving, deep, intimate kind of knowing. And so God, before the foundation of the world, chooses to put his hesed love onto people. And those people he calls and he justifies and he glorifies. Friends, God's love for his people is not based on our response to him. It's based on his sovereign providence to foreknow you and put his hesed love onto you. And how can we know this to be true? Because of Jesus Christ. The book of Ruth is a book uh, uh, about hope and redemption through a redeemer. She, she makes a vow to Naomi and sees it to the end. At the end of Ruth, Ruth gives her uh, son as the last and greatest act of hesed love for the redemption of Naomi. Do you see it? You, we often walk uh, away from Ruth going, wow, Boaz, redeemer, Christ figure. Uh, it's, it's like a foreshadowing of Christ. Friends, Boaz is not the Christ figure in Ruth. Ruth is. Ruth makes the commitment to Naomi, fully unaware of how she will respond, and she loves even to the point of offering her own son for a full redemption of Naomi. Friends, we can know that the gospel displays hesed love for us no matter what we've done because of Jesus Christ. One of the main verses from VBS this week, we heard it, it was Romans 5.8, which says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were sinners, separated from God, enemies of God, high-handedly rebelling against God, God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to cleanse us of our sins. He has made a way for us to be redeemed out of our greatest need. And so as Christians, we want to seek to display hesed love to those around us because this is how Christ loved us. We want others to know the way that Christ loves us. We want to be able to display it to other people. And so this morning, as we move and as we close our time together and we move to the Lord's Supper, we get the opportunity to, to celebrate Jesus Christ, the greatest display of hesed love ever known to man. And so I'm going to pray our servers can come down and, and, and get ready to, to pass out the, the, the Lord's table together. But as we, as we take this bread and cup and we, and we just hold it and we think about it, I want us to consider that. There's going to be a lot of times in your life, today, tomorrow, every day, where you're going to be presented with these little opportunities where, where you know ahead of time. You may not, but you, most of the time you know, man, I'm going to do this for this person. It's not going to go well. I know how this is going to go. And, and, and remember, Jesus Christ looks upon us, and he knows everything. How often does he know, I know what's going to happen here. I know, what's going to ha I know how they're going to respond here. And yet his love never ceases, never fails, never goes away. He never walks away. When we sin against him, he walks toward because of his great love for us. And so I'm going to pray. If our servers will come down uh, and, and, and get ready to, to pass out the, the elements. We'll, we'll take the, the, the we'll, they'll hand out the elements and just hold it, and we will, I'll come back up and I'll read our passage. Uh, so let me pray for us this morning. Father, thank you again for our time. Thank you so much that you have displayed Hesed love to us, that you've shown it to us through your word. But greater than that, you have displayed it to us through Jesus Christ. God, you have no, we, you have no indebtedness to us. We, we don't deserve your hesed love, and yet you choose to display it to us. You, you, you have chosen to send Christ to, to take on the wrath and, and, and make atonement for our sins because we could not. Only your hesed love can make that possible can make that a reality. And so, Lord, we thank you for Ruth. We thank you for, for her actions, for motivating her, for Boaz, for Naomi, for, for all the people in, in this story that, you know, by God's grace, we will, we will get to meet and talk to one day and ask about, ask about you know, the sandal ceremony, all kinds of stuff. But, Lord, we are so grateful. 
for, for Christ and what he did for us upon the cross and, and, and just that greatest display of Hesed love that man has known. And so I just pray that you would help us to think on that this morning and to remember that and to celebrate that through our time at the Lord's table this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, you guys hand it out. Again, just hold it and I'll come back and we'll uh, read it together.